Fargo Season 2, Episode 4, Fear and Trembling is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Fargo Podcast. And now our two guys who are going to be eating chocolate glazed and old fashioned, Antonio Mazzaro and Jeremiah Panhorse. What's going on? What's what? up? Yeah, what's going on? We're here. We're here waiting for you, Josh. But your method of speaking is so we are here on the... What are you, an alien? Yeah, I'm abducting you all, and you are coming to my podcast. Oh, this is terrifying. What, what are you going to do with that long, uh, the the weird, that long, uh, oblong thing you're holding in your hand? It's like a cattle prod, right? That's what that was. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Jeremiah, this is you're the you're the weapons expert here on uh, on the Fargo <laughs> podcast. That was a cattle prod, right? Oh, absolutely. Certainly was. Yeah, Definitely. so you're you're familiar with its use, uh, as yeah, we use all are. Time. As we are having, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, watched your live streams of Jeremiah Panhorse cattle prod tutorials, uh, but really, it's just from watching Fargo. Yeah, none of much. us have watched those, unfortunately, because those are private links on YouTube that you don't supply us with. Yes, that's correct. Jeremiah Pan Horst, <laughs> Jeremiah Pan Cattle Prod. Is that what's cap- happening here? Yeah. It's close. It's close. It's pretty yeah. good. All right. Let's get away from this wackiness. There's a ton of wackiness to talk about. This week with Fargo, we are four episodes deep into season two. Uh, fear and trembling this week. Lots of crazy stuff going on. Lots of movement in the plot. Lots of uh, movement in the butt department. What? <laughs> lots of butts this week. And you guys know how I feel about those butts. All was- of the butts. This was definitely this theme of this episode definitely was butt crack. That is yeah. for sure. <laughs> it, was, it was the buddy, buddiest episode of Fargo for sure. I mean, oh it, yeah, there's this. It, this is up there amongst the buddiest episodes of television. No, that's not. You think Game of Thrones has uh, brought more butts to the table? Game of Thrones mm. brought more butts to the table. Sons of Anarchy has got the butts thing going on. Superwits um, was always showing the butt on yeah. NYPD nude. Yeah, and Oz is probably where you're going to find most of the butts. You're going to find a lot of butts on Oz. Oh, I thought you meant like the land of Oz with scarecrows no. and cowardly lions and butts. Well, I mean, it's not like they don't have butts. They've got them, but they're clothed. I mean, the, technically the Tin Man and the Lion are not. Well, they're not that's clothed. They don't. Yeah, that's true. You know, so you really are just seeing their butts. Uh, but there's tons of butts on Fargo this week. I don't. I would stop sort of saying the buddiest episode of TV of TV, or even in contention for one of the buddiest episodes of TV. But without a doubt, buddiest episode of Fargo, uh, buddiest Landry that I've ever seen. Unless Jesse Clemens has gone nakes in some of his movies, which I'm not aware of. That was the buddiest Landry I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, a, true to, true to form, it's nature, right? He wasn't um, making sex to his wife with his pants on. No, that's true. No, that's a good point because that would be that would be very difficult. Mostly, he's having a serious bathroom conversation where he's done like the pull down pants pee, uh, right. <laughs> and he is and he is in in full 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 butt form there. And then you see Oto; he's at the hospital at one point. You see a little bit of Michael Hogan crack, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. definitely going full hospital gown, which is I guess not terrible, but you always got to be careful for that. But he's not in control of his uh, faculties here, so somebody's got to take care of my boy and. and Cover up the butt. That's like, the, yeah, that's the kind of embarrassing butt crack. You know, it's like, you know, oh my God, is somebody behind me? I hope, hope nobody saw that. You know, is there a camera back there? You know, I mean, that would be embarrassing for the guy. Yeah. Very, very there, casual, very casual crack, I would say. Yeah. That one. 
<laughs> yeah, there, there's an old, I believe, Arabic proverb, at least that's where I've heard it from. And I don't know the full words, but, uh, it, it amounts to the fact that, like, when you're sleeping, if you have a nightmare or a crazy dream, uh, somebody will just immediately say, well, your butt was showing. Like, uh, uh-huh. meaning that you weren't covered up and then something happened and that's why it happened. I don't know why it comes through the butt. I've never really unpacked the metaphor, but I don't know. Fargo was clearly doing something. This, they didn't show the, the butts in this episode on accident. Like, they showed multiple butts butts for a reason. I don't know if the director of this episode just happens to like butts uh, or if this was a kind of a butt, 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 butt episode or what, but there, there, it wasn't on accident that we saw several butts. I'll submit, I'll submit a theory, and it's actually serious. You ready? Here yes. it is. Okay. Caught, with, caught with your pants down. That was sort of the theme of the episode tonight. A lot of people are caught in bad situations, mm. unawares. We see that Otto Gerhardt, he's going to get the whole uh, one-minute treatment, a la Breaking Bad is going to happen to him. We know that Ed and Peggy are going to get called out by Lou at one point, and we know that Dodd's daughter, Simone, un- unknowingly is giving some info to Mike Milligan that is going to cause a big problem for the Gerhardt family. So I think lots of people caught with their pants down this week, literally and figuratively. How I like that? that, Josh. I like that a lot. Actually, it does work really well, doesn't it? Right? How about that? Yeah. And I just watched the episode. That was pretty good. What I was, was going to say, the only thing I would disagree with is I don't know how much of what's going on with Simone Gerhardt is unwilling. I mean, I don't know that <laughs> She wants sure. to put, geez, she doesn't want to put Otto right in harm's way, but uh, right. I think the, the cop with the pants down for her comes from the fact that she's literally sleeping with the enemy, and somebody's going to figure that out. Like, I well, don't she, think that's going to go unnoticed. She's sleeping with the enemy for sure, and that is a, a voluntary you know, a voluntary decision on her part, sure. but, but I don't think that she meant for her grandfather to get blown away, you right. know? So I, I think that that was a, a moment of vulnerability where she is giving up too much information. That's, that's how I read it. Maybe, maybe she is, maybe she's turning uh, full Kansas city. Maybe she's going full Milligan. No, yeah, I, I don't think she meant for Oto. You know, she's got. She's she, listen. She's thumbs up on Milligan. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is yeah. very true. We have a what did you call it, Jeremiah? Sticky thumb situation. Sticky thumb situation. Yeah. Oh, terrible! That's terrible. <laughs> I mean, I don't uh, know. I know a joke like that, but it involves David Copperfield. All right, well, well, you have to tell us off the air. Yeah, let's let's get away from all of that. We can we can talk about butts throughout the podcast if it's appropriate. But how about we start talking about some stuff here on Fargo? Otherwise. I, as we started recording this podcast, I was five minutes out from finishing uh, Fear and Trembling. So I've just finished the episode. You guys have had a little longer to stick with it. You've, you've slept on this episode a little bit. Jeremiah, what did you think of Fear and Trembling? What did you think of this week's Fargo? What are your, what are your main takeaways from the episode this week? Oh, I thought it was another great episode. I, I loved, of course, the big meeting between KC and the Gerhards. That was awesome. Uh, of course, we get to find out that Carl has a little issue causing uh, some plumbing issues. I really enjoyed uh, seeing Ed and Peggy just dig themselves such a big hole now. It's just it's crazy how, how bad things have turned for them, which we knew it would be eventually. And I also love the uncle and nephew bonding time there at the donut shop. That was just a beautiful sight to see. There. And uh, no, I just thought, I thought the episode was, was great again, man. This is another one where I, all this tension has been building up and we, we got a, so much more in this episode. It was just fantastic. Really what did you think, stuff. Antonio? Did you enjoy it? I think that, uh, that, Everything's about to blow up. I mean, this is uh, this is crazy that we're getting we're we're telling I think a season's worth of story in the first five episodes, including next week, because I don't see how you can build it to the point where it's just like, all right, we are now officially at war with people whose only job is to kill us. 
uh, and have and right. have Ed and Peggy be on Hansy's radar already, and and not realize that this story is going to be a little bit more, I think, uh, than what we've accomplished so far. Because we're really about to go into, I think, I think this next episode is going to be a bloodbath. I just think we're going to have multiple deaths and murders occur, and there just hasn't been as much on screen violence, I don't think, uh, as I associate with season one. That doesn't mean that there there wasn't more violence in season one. It's just season one has that has two murders at the end of the first episode like one right after the other and they're kind of big deal bad murders and then it really just we also already had sam hess in that episode too so this season seems to be a little slower paced but i think it's about multiple ways to tell the story because it's about to all blow up and i will say the one concern i had and it is a concern that i had with this episode and i I really am curious as to where you guys as well as anyone listening here at postshowrecaps.com i'm curious as to what everyone thinks about what was, I think, the most, uh, the second most overt UFO issue here in this episode? And how much rope are we willing to give Noah Hawley on this UFO stuff? Yeah, I think that we'll definitely get into the UFO of it all. I think you said something really interesting before we even dive into that, Antonio, about a season's worth of story that we might be rubbing up against with next week's episode, because how do we get out of the situation? How do we not just have full-blown war between Kansas City and the Gerhards next week? I think that if you look back at season one, you could argue that there was a season's worth of story in the first, I don't know, uh, eight and a half episodes, seven and a half episodes or so. It's right at halfway into episode eight where we do the time jump. Right. And it's almost like a new story has started. Like one one part of the, the story had ended and a new act had begun. A much shorter final act, but a new act all the same, where you could almost see that that could have been season two of Fargo. Um, I think that maybe we could be headed for a buzzsaw like that at some point. I don't know if it's going to be quite as quick as episode five, but we have seen in the past in Fargo that this is a show that isn't afraid to wrap things up sooner than you expect because they'll start unrolling new ideas that we haven't even considered. So I'm not worried about the pace of it at all. Uh, I'm yeah. not worried, but it is. Uh, I think something like that could be coming is really what I'm sensing more than anything. Like you're saying, this sort of buzzsaw or you know, like a really big uh, change. I think that that could be in the offing. And I think that that could be interesting. We're, we're looking right now at the, you know, the series begins with the Carter late seventies gas, you know, Reagan's on the campaign trail or whatever you skip ahead and the campaign's over and he's been elected president and we're in the eighties. And are we feeling differently about the world? Are we feeling the same new decade? I think they can take on all those issues that are sort of simmering right now. And if they did a time jump, uh, would be interesting to evaluate considering where we've been for the first half. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, all right. How about we flash back in time to 1950? Let's go watch a movie called Moonbase Freedom starring Ronald Reagan. Who is that? Is he- <laughs> did you did you guys have the first reaction I had? Because the first reaction I had was like, I've never heard of this movie. And then when I did some research, I go, oh, okay, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What, tell, tell us what you put in Because it's not tell real. Us. Oh, it's just not like, real. Just like the Massacre of Sioux Falls, that, that's not a real movie as well. Th- these are all fictional, fictional uh, Ronald Reagan films. So, right. Which, if, of course, this one fits perfectly with the alien theme, obviously. Right. So they're, we're, we're pulling, uh, pulling Moonbase Freedom out of our butts. Now, nope, one nope. thing I did not get a chance to do, maybe you guys did, the actual footage, though, we were seeing in the theater – Perhaps was that an actual movie they took from, or did they actually shoot all of that just for the scene? 
Yeah, I don't think that that was from an actual movie. Uh, I don't, I'm obviously the massacre at Sioux Falls massacre. There was not from an actual movie, right? So right. Um, that was something they shot. I think they probably did. I don't know if it's second unit stuff, uh, but they probably did a fair amount of shooting of these kind of things that are running in the background. And I think we're going to see that uh, you know throughout the season, probably uh, maybe a one or a, one or another more times, because I think that it is sort of this thing now that is being done on this season of Fargo. Um, it, it, Seinfeld obviously has some hilariously notorious uh, in show uh, entertainment that they go see, uh, different movies, uh, things that are referenced. A lot of times that's where you'll hear Larry David's voice is on the screen when the Seinfeld actors are in a movie theater and a scene's going on. So, I mean, it's not that it hasn't been done in TV, that you've got sort of fictional movies that are saying something or that are a part of the plot of an episode. And I think that it would be entirely in keeping for Fargo to be doing that as well. So wouldn't surprise me to see it again. Wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think the other piece of that, too, is it feels so tempting. If you've got Bruce Campbell on board to play Ronald Reagan to begin with, how could you not film a little moon base freedom with Bruce Campbell as Ronald Reagan? How could you resist that? How could True. you resist not not rolling a little footage on that? So I feel like I feel like we'll see a little bit of the Bruce Campbell, Ronald Reagan film catalog. That feels like something that we'll get. I, yeah. would, I would hope at yeah. least as like a DVD feature. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and when Jeremiah mentioned there was the Sioux Falls one at the beginning, so we know the Sioux Falls incident is something that happens in the context of this show. We know that the UFO stuff is something that has been happening in the context of this show. So not only are these things existing, but they are being tied into things that are at least somewhat existing on the show. Uh, different massacres, of course, at Sioux Falls, but uh, similarly, uh, people dying. So... Uh, I think that's what we're heading toward, and I think that, that that is interesting as well. Every one of these has a slight connection to the show so far, uh, and I think we could look forward to more of that. Uh, but what's funny is that none of these are referencing some of the actual ridiculous movies that Ronald Reagan did make, uh, which I think that I've seen a clip from next week where uh, Carl Weathers does reference, uh, yes. I don't know if it's Bedtime for Bonzo or uh, something. He's like, the man made a movie with a monkey. How could I shake his hand, you know? Like, and, and so I think we're going to get some real Ronald Reagan references as well. Yeah, I think we will too. And also too, you know, going back to this whole massacre on Sioux Falls thing, you know, there hasn't been really much discussion so far this season about Sioux Falls. I mean, we've heard a lot, of course, about Laverne, Minnesota, of course, Fargo and all these other different places, but we haven't heard much from that. So I wonder if, uh, like we were talking about earlier about maybe there being other parts of the story that we're going to either jump ahead or something like that too. I wonder how, if that has something to do with the Sioux Falls area. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll, when, uh, when Peggy is talking, that's where the Life Spring seminar is going to be. And we did find that out in this episode. And if you blink, you miss it. Uh, the, uh, what's her I, boss's name? I'm sorry. I forget. Uh, God, Constance. Constance yeah. is saying to her, <laughs> and I want to talk about this later because her speech is hilarious and ridiculous, but she basically says, you're going to go to Sioux Falls and this is, you know, you're going to go, uh, be the best Peggy Blomquist that you can be. And it's like, uh Oh, this is happening in Sioux Falls. Like that's no good. No bueno. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the the best Peggy that you can be might be a very dead Peggy is yeah. uh, is what we could be looking at. So that that's the only bit of Sioux Falls that we've gotten so far, Jeremiah. But that well, is, now I feel like an idiot because I no, totally missed it, that. No, dude, I I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have Falls. known it if I wasn't if I hadn't just watched it. And it wasn't really just very firmly in my head. And like Antonio says, it happens really fast, so it's really quick. I mean, I rewatched the episode today and didn't hear it, and I thought, well, that's weird because I was pretty sure I heard that. So then I had to rewind back yeah. to the scene and play it again just to make sure that she said it that's how offhanded it is yeah, uh, so. but it could i mean and, and you know what that could just be it could be what do you call it like not a foiler but it could be a a false thing it could be in the red herring you know what i mean it could be in false the, thing yeah to throw us off well, uh, sue, sue false sue I, false it could be sue false i know this sounds really nerdy but for the podcast i did a little researching to find out because you know i'm not real familiar obviously with minnesota or any of the Dakotas, but I did a little research to find out how far apart a lot of these cities are. Apparently, uh, Laverne, Minnesota, which we've probably spent, what, the majority of our time in, that's yeah. only about 30 miles, 32 miles from Sioux Falls. But um, North Dakota is a little bit further north. It's about 267 miles away. So it probably take you between three and a half and four hours to get there. Because we've seen a lot of scenes with the, the people, you know, characters driving back and forth from the two cities. I'm thinking, well, how far away is Fargo from from this town? So that just kind of gives you a little bit of perspective, too, when you're watching the show. At least you now have an idea of, like, how far they're going from, from one city to the other. Yeah, that's great. I just I just sent you guys a picture of a map uh, that I know is online uh, that I just saw Jeremiah almost at the same time uh, as you were kind of talking about this. That um, that it shows the the distances out with character heads and and stuff like that. So oh, uh, we'll that. post that on our show page at Post Show Recaps. I've got the the imager link, and we can link that there. Hey. Why very didn't nice. I get, why didn't I get the picture of the map? I, you should have. I, no, I did. I just got it. I just got it. Oh. Uh, well, wait, let's, can we check can your we, stats, homeboy? Can we can we talk about the the scene itself though? Can we talk about this really really genius plan on Otto Gerhardt's part? I mean, it's genius, but it's awful to bring <laughs> his kid to the movie theater to have a sit down with this guy who's just taken over the crime family and to use his kid as a weapon. This kid who sneaks a knife in and stabs this guy in the back of the head, and we see Otto pulling some Jack Bauer moves to kill the rest of the people in the theater. It was badass. I mean, it was awful. This is bad parenting, but uh, I don't know. I mean, Jeremiah, you're the only parent of the three of us. How did you feel about this as a parent? Well, as a parent, I can tell you, I have not done this with my children. Uh, The last time I did a hit, I made sure I was all by myself. But uh, with that said, uh, yeah, I don't think this is going to get him any awards for uh, best parenting here. But let's... Let's be honest. I don't think anyone had the the illusion that this man <laughs> had uh, any good sense when it comes to how he raises the kids. But what I, of course, love about this is this gives us some great background, not only about Otto himself, but of course, Dodd and how he is the way he is now. I mean, this is this is clearly the reason why this guy is so messed up. The kid, the guy was making hits it by what was he probably like 10 11 12 years old in that young yeah <laughs> he's pretty young and he's already helping his dad take out hits on on someone who apparently that that's the guy who must have sh- shot the um the his father uh, right 19 times in the face i think is what we learned 
Yeah, so he just gets, he shoots his dad 19 times in the face and gets one knife to the head. You know, why waste 19 bullets when you can do it all with one knife? I, what I, another thing too I picked up, I like about this, this discussion about, uh, kill, uh, kill the king to be the king. And I thought it was kind of, uh, interesting too that when the KC mob guys later on, we see them with, uh, when they, do the hit there for where where Otto was at from coming out of the, the doctor's office, how they took his hat off and put it in his in his lap. Almost yeah. to say like he's taking this crown off of him and say, You're no longer in charge, buddy. Yeah, that was great. Really everything with Michael Hogan this episode was fantastic. Speaking of this scene, our Philly wrote in a funny question over at postshowrecaps.com. Here's what he said. I distinctly remember my grandfather using me as a lookout while he was trying to steal antique farm equipment from a dilapidated barn when I was like eight years old. I have to ask if any of you guys had an experience similar to Dodd and I where an irresponsible relative involved you in an illegal and potentially dangerous situation like that when you were kids. Is that where the road to upstate New York started for you boys? Uh, Jeremiah or Antonio, either you have tales that even come close to mirroring. Uh, certainly, if it's the Dodd situation, maybe keep that off the air. But if it's an <laughs> our Philly level event, is there anything you guys can share? Oh, well, I know I don't, but uh, I have a feeling. Maybe I bet you Antonio does. Antonio, what do you what do you have? Um, my aunt was a really big shoplifter and would always kind of, if we were with her, say, "Oh, I'm just going to go inside and get some stuff. Make sure you hold the door for your aunt when she walks out, you know, and stuff like that." So I'm pretty sure that I was at least complicit in some of those things. Um, she's she's got some issues. Uh, no no farm equipment theft really. I mean that would that's pretty great. Um, I don't know. I, it, it reminds me of McNulty uh, in the Wire, kind of using his sons to play what I think he I forget, I forget what he calls it spies or something. And he basically uses his kids to help track the uh, the people that he sees in public that he wants to track. And you get the impression that he does this a lot. Uh, his wife is not cool with it, and it's obviously like, oh, this is just an irresponsible adult uh, putting kids in a position where they could uh, get in trouble, but because they're kids, uh, they're going to get away with a lot. So I think that that's part of it. Uh, classic move here by Oto. Uh, this is a, He's tapping into the R. Philly bloodline, I guess, uh, with this move. <laughs> yeah, that was a good move. It was a good move. And I just think, you know, I'm a, hu- I'm a huge Michael Hogan fan. I love Michael Hogan. I liked getting to see Michael Hogan up and on his feet and moving around and talking trash and showing us who Oto Gerhardt was in his prime. I just thought it was really great stuff. And Antonio, for you, I know that you are so thumbs down on Dodd. Maybe it ticked up a little this week, or at least you liked Little Dodd. What did you think of Dodd this week? You know, I wrote this in my notes because I didn't. I don't give a crap about Little Dodd. Uh, I didn't seem to me like Aww. Little Dodd was in any way affected by any of this. Seemed like he really just wanted to watch the movie, uh, and like he didn't seem like he was really that upset about any of it. Uh, but I really it, the the scene with Gene Smart and Dodd in the back of the car after uh, they've basically said it's war or it's going to be war. Uh, I'm going to give you the night to decide. Um, that that was really tender, and I thought yeah. that was a side of Dodd we haven't seen. And that's when I saw Little Dodd. Actually, it's funny. I didn't it's see funny Little you Dodd in the movie theater. Right. No, I, it's funny you mentioned that, Antonio, because I had the same thought too. Because he didn't even seem to be remotely, you know, affected emotionally at all about what was going on. Almost to make me think that maybe this wasn't the first time Dodd's been involved in something like this. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, could, it could be. It could be. Or he's just, you know, he's, he's got it. It's in the blood. It's in the blood. Maybe. He, well, well, he could just love movies so much. He was so yeah. enthralled in this amazing yeah. Ronald Reagan film that he just couldn't. It in a way. He was just too focused on that. I don't know. I don't think that uh, what you just described has ever happened in the history <laughs> no, of the world. I, you can hear me. Uh, I can hardly being, say it with a straight face. Anybody being enthralled by a Dutch film. Uh, what <laughs> I was going to say is that is that you say it's in the blood. I think that that's actually there might be some validity to that because the next scene that we see of course is Dodd uh, and and Charlie right uh, and they're in the car and they're you know going to get ready to crack some heads together and yeah. that is like oh you know what this this is very similar uh, where you know a young person in the family uh, maybe is going to say that they want to help or that they're in because they're a Gerhardt and that's what they want to be and so yeah they're going to get involved in the family business even when people probably don't want them to and even when they probably shouldn't uh, yeah it's going to happen so I thought that was some nice juxtaposition there with that next scene yeah yeah we got we got dodd and charlie charlie who is bear's son and he has the lame hand but he's able to still reload his gun and he's very proud of himself when he shows that off to dodd and dodd doesn't really give him much in terms of validation on that other than you know kind of laughing and telling him to get back in the car but you get the sense that dodd likes the fight in charlie and you also get the sense that bear would not be thrilled to know that dodd took charlie along to kick the crap out of some of these kc mobsters yeah well I was really surprised we didn't have a scene where Bear and Dodd like totally go at it because he found out that he took them down there to the donut shop and roughed those guys up. I was really expecting some backlash yeah. from that. And we some didn't sort, get it. Yeah, some sort of reaction. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, I, the question, I guess, is that, I mean, we I, we did get it, right? Like, didn't we get it? Like, wasn't that why Oto got, got shot? Or not Oto, but his bodyguards and everybody sure. with him. I mean, we got that retaliation. My question well, yeah. is... Why does Dodd do this? Like it clearly causes. It, yeah, I mean that's why because he's an idiot. Yeah. Like yes. Okay. Because yes. I, yeah. mean, I do think it's that simple. I do think I think it's Dodd is really proud. You know, we've seen this from Dodd time and time again in the short time that we've known these characters. That this is a guy who is really proud and is not going to take any crap from Kansas City. This is a guy who just cuts off somebody's ears and continues to talk to them. <laughs> you know, this is a guy who you know dumps asphalt on top of somebody and lets their tie half hang out. So he's sloppy he's sloppy he doesn't mm-hmm. think things through he's dumb and he's proud i really do think it's that simple with dot i don't think that he was trying to i don't think that he's trying to you know start something that's going to screw his mom over or anything like that i think that this is just instinctual dodd i think that this is proud dumb dodd thinking he's doing the right thing for the gerhardt family and he's wrong yeah does this after seeing this scene should we be very concerned about the fate of charlie now well, we have been, haven't we? Well, I know, you, we, I know, we talked yeah. about it last week. I'm just like now. I'm like real now. I'm really, really getting concerned. That you know, if, if Dodd's on board with him being more involved, ah, man, this this is not going to go good for him, is it? Yeah, yeah. Ant- that, that, Antonio, you would know. Antonio, you would know that that's uh, that's Chekhov's gun loading, right? That's uh, that's that's coming back. Oh that. yeah, I think so. I mean, proving that the kid can load the gun tells me that we're going to see him do it again later. I definitely put yeah. that in my notes. I also wrote that Bear won't be a happy Bear. I don't think that that's going to play out well. <laughs> sad Bear. He's going to be a sad Bear because sad Panda because we already saw him strictly telling his son he didn't want him in the business, and now we see his brother, who he's already at odds with, putting his son in the business. Uh, this is when, when they go to war, it's going to be like, oh, we're all, you know, all hands on deck. But I actually think there might be a little bit more uh, to this scene. I could be wrong. Uh, it, it, I think it could come back later only because 
you guys are all on board with with Dodd just being dumb, and and I buy that because I've been leading that charge uh, the first three episodes of this series. I think it's also possible that Dodd knew that this would cause a problem, and he knew that it would bring about the outcome that he wanted. I mean, it's it's possible that he's just savvy enough to know that if he rough roughs and you know roughs these guys up a little bit, that no deal is ever going to happen, and that it will be war, which is what he wanted to begin with. So that's possible. And if we live in a world where that's the Dodd Gerhardt, where he's as quiet as Easter Island, or where he's able to keep his cool a little bit, um, then he's a much more three-dimensional character than what we've seen so far. He's a better character, and I think it could be a more interesting story. Um, that would be, to me, more in line with uh, kind of a, a more well-rounded thing, as I was saying. So I don't know if that, I mean, I don't think we have any sense that he did this, knowing that it would bring it out, and you guys are pretty confident that it was because he was just dumb, and I, I buy that. Uh, because the show hasn't really given us anything else to believe otherwise. But I think it's possible that he can't be that dumb, right? Yeah, and you know, if I, if I remember, I mentioned, maybe it was even last week, that I thought to myself, it is this man really does want war, and he will do whatever it takes to make sure it happens. And so you're right, he, this could have been a, a conscious thing, the decision he made to make sure that the ball got rolling on it, so... I think I need to see some scene of Dodd like really, you know, uh, scheming this out a little bit harder. Uh, I, I need to see a little more intelligence behind his eyes uh, in in order to really get on board with that. He just he does just strike me as uh, as really impulsive. And even in the scene where he's going to stand up in the Joe Bulo negotiation and all conventional wisdom should say, sit the F down. Um, I mean, you know, he could always take off his mask and he's like, ah, I was the super genius this whole time. But I feel, I, I feel like that's not coming. I, yeah. I just don't see. I it. understand the feeling. I just, I, I'm not as dead set that it won't happen. I, I do feel right. the same way. Uh, I just, I had considered that other consequence and thought, what have we seen on the show to give that any credibility? And I couldn't think of anything. Uh, he seems to have been fairly rash in all of his reactions and actions. I mean, this is a guy that when he first sees the Kitchen Brothers, he has no idea who they are, flicks a cigarette at him. Right. Like yeah. this is who Dodd is. And we, we learn. And, but I mean, you contrast that to when he, when he was a kid, he acted as quiet as the heads on Easter Island. Uh, he knew that what his role was. He was Otto's son. Uh, he was smart like that. And yeah, Otto was a ball, uh, a ball buster or a head buster or whatever Dodd calls himself in this episode. But uh, he was also smart enough to execute that plan. So I don't know. I think that there's a possibility there's more to Dodd. I did think it was also, I like the dimension of Dodd we see when he and Charlie are ordering the donuts and Charlie orders an old fashioned and Dodd is just like an old, fa- an old fashioned. An old fashioned. Yeah. Like he's really, <laughs> he's just out of it for a minute. Like he drops the whole badass act and it's just like, what's wrong with you? All right. So we're going to have an old fashioned. So I've never heard of a donut called an old fashioned. I just know the old fashioned, the drink, which is a delicious drink. I love the yeah. drink. But what what is an old fashioned donut? Do either of you guys know? I don't know. Uh, I think uh, that it. I mean, I think that I've seen it on the menu at Dunkin' Donuts, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's like it's like a real very plain Jane donut. There's not much to it, to be honest with you. If I remember, it's like right. a glazed. No, yeah, it, it looks it like it's, have, it's like a cake donut. Like it's maybe like a like cake it's donut. A yeah, glazed, it's, glazed cake. Maybe like some kind of cake donut. Right. I mean, we can, maybe our listeners can <laughs> help us out a little bit on this, but I'm pretty sure it's a very plain cake-like donut and with nothing on it, if I remember right. good. You know, sometimes you're just in the mood for it's, an old-fashioned. If you're like, yeah, I got kind of like, you know, a weak tummy today, I'm just going to have the old-fashioned. i tell you what it's perfect for. You dunk it in your coffee. That's that what sounds you, good. It was, and that, yeah, that makes it good. Maybe you had coffee in the car. Who knows? Hey, I live in the Midwest, buddy. We eat a lot of donuts around here, okay? 
It's good, man. I'm I'm moving in. Do you have a Tim Hortons, Jeremiah? Uh, no, we do not. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't I don't know from donuts, but I know that it, when it when it stops and starts with Tim Hortons, I think. Hortons is the top of the top of the heap. Well, if you're talking chains, I mean, obviously there's the Voodoo Donut that started in Portland. That's a you know great kind of uh, individual location, and this is, I know each town has its own like oh. This is our private, you know, little small independent donut shop, and I'm sure they're all great. But um, right. as far as chains goes, I think our friends to the north would talk talk about Tim Hortons as the the be all end all when it comes to donut chains. I don't know; right. it's weird this day and age we, when we talk so much about carbs and sugars. What we Dunkin' Donuts is still doing pretty well. I guess their coffee. All right, good. we're we're way we're way too deep in donuts. We're way too deep into the donuts. <laughs> well, we could talk talk about donuts and butts so far. I don't. Yeah. know. We're <laughs> well, I think this is a good well, podcast. This is the greatest I'll, podcast ever, buddy. Come well, on. Now, now we can talk about butts again because we are now at the Peggy and Ed scene of the two of them knocking boots or socks, as it were. And we got Ed with the pull down pants, P, and them having their conversation in the bathroom about what's more important: the Life Spring seminar or you know having babies and owning the butcher shop. And these two do not seem to agree on their life plan. Uh, they're very far apart. Uh, what, what was your take on this, Jeremiah? What did you think? This, did this, did this seem like, uh, this seems like bad news for the Blomquist. Oh, absolutely. It means bad news. And we, we've seen already this throughout the, every scene we've seen with the two of them. We know that the two are on total different wavelengths as far as how their future looks. She does not want anything that he wants, including obviously having a child, so I, I thought it was just really hard to watch because I, I could just uh, – I'm feeling so sorry for this Ed guy. I mean he is just – he can't see the writing on the wall that this gal has no interest in what he's talking about. And yet you know, he it's like goes right over his head and it just – I feel for the poor guy, right? Don't you feel yeah. sorry for him? Yeah, I, I mean it's I, rough because he he's in a position where – I mean, you make a commitment to somebody with marriage, and if you're true about that commitment, you try to uphold it. But I really think he and Peggy are are in are in different places. But you know what? I also kind of feel bad for Peggy in that Ed just doesn't seem to get that the world isn't about him forcing what he wants out of the world That's onto true. somebody who doesn't want that. And it's really a, a we have a we have a major uh, communication issue between the two of them. I mean, even in this episode. He's like, well, I decided, I decided that you can't go to your seminar. Not, I know your seminar is important to you. Uh, let's talk about how we can, you know, figure this out because this is what we're trying to do. If you're not on board with that, I understand, but like we need to, he's not doing that. He's making decisions unilaterally. He's expecting Peggy to want to live the life that he wants to live. So, I mean, I feel bad for him because he's kind of getting dragged around by the nose. And I mean, you always feel bad for a guy who thinks he's making a baby with his wife and you go in the bathroom and she's taking seats. Secret birth control, like right. that's never a great like relationship thing. But I don't think he's blameless in this. I think that he's guilty of having a completely clueless uh, idea of what it's like to be in a relationship with someone. And maybe that's true of the time. Like maybe that's the way it is. But I think the whole point with the Peggy story and with Lifespring in general, especially with Constance kind of saying the things she says to her, is that other people you know, shouldn't define their other half's life in a relationship unless people are okay with that or unless that's part of the agreement. And I don't know what Ed and Peggy's agreement was, but uh, Ed seems to think that it's something that Peggy didn't think it was. So maybe he needs to get on a different page here. They both seem far apart. You know, they both seem far apart in what it is they want 
out of life, out of their relationship with each other, their future. She wants to be more than just, you know, this person at the beauty salon. She wants to be the best version of herself. He wants this simple dream of owning the local butcher shop and it's within reach. He's very close to it. So they're also far apart in terms of their goals individually, where they are to the thing that they want. He's so close. She's so far. She feels she can get closer with this one leap that she makes through life spring. She can truly spring forward to the life that she would like uh so they're they're really far apart and this is a challenging thing and this is why you know a lot of marriages don't end well you know this is why a lot of marriages end period uh it's you know this is the kind of thing that drives a wedge between people and then when you throw up you know um, a, a you know a gangster's youngest son and toss him into the meat grinder between these two it really creates a pretty combustible situation <laughs> yeah and as someone who's been married for 20 years you are absolutely right antonio you have to be able to have those com- you have to have those conversations with your spouse to find out you know what your spouse's dreams are you know and if your if your spouse doesn't have the same dreams then you know you need to you need to de- take walk this through take this through a little bit better because you know marriage is not going to go very well if the, if the two of you are on a whole different page and i'm sure a lot of it has to do with you know she's never really been honest with them until of course later on in the episode when she finally does say no i actually this cinema is more important to me than your than your butcher shop but i think that might have been like one of the first times he's actually heard it from her so you know the communication issues obviously has is the communication between the two of them obviously hasn't been where it needs to be as as a couple and and now they're just in a lot of trouble <laughs> Yeah, in a lot of trouble. I know, I know actually we yada yada through some of the Lou and Betsy stuff, which is, you know, a happier marriage that's, uh, that's going on. If not for the fact that she is sick, there is, you know, there is, there's illness getting between the two of them. Yeah. And did you guys notice in this scene, uh, that we have kind of right here at the beginning with this Peggy and Ed scene that the doctor that they're seeing, he's got legitimate lab rats in his office? Is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they made sure at the opening shot of the scene, you looking down onto the cage, seeing the seeing the 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 lab rats. I, I noticed that, too, or mice or whatever they were. They, it was, like, so evident they wanted to make sure you knew that they were back there. And there was multiple ones back there, wasn't there, Antonio? Yeah, multiple multiple little uh, terrariums or whatever you call them, uh, little, little lab rat houses. And then, I think they should get another doctor. <laughs> well, he had, he, he had the, in the in the background behind uh, them – Behind, uh, behind Betsy and Lou, he had these pamphlets that just said skin cancer, brain cancer, bone cancer. Like they were just very generic looking <laughs> pamphlets. And I don't know if this was meant to emphasize that they were in the sort of clinical setting that her cancer had gotten. I think what I was, we were meant to take from this scene is, which I think you could take without any of that is that things are really bad for Betsy. A lot worse than she's obviously showing and wants to show, but I think a lot worse than seems with just the way we're interacting with her physically. She's up and about. She's fine. Uh, She doesn't look like she's dying. She looks normal. Uh, And so... All of that is happening in in the scene in the in the scenes that we see. So I think we could easily think that her cancer isn't that serious. But here they are, kind of like in this weird medical setting, uh, where she's being told that yeah, your only choice right now is maybe you get a drug or maybe you get a placebo. And sadly, I don't even think they can fully grasp what that is. Like I don't know. I think no, Betsy yeah. knows how serious her situation is, but I think both of them are like, I, we don't understand. Like, what is that? What's going on? And right. so she's in like literally like the last ditch effort here with the clinical drug. And this is not good. 
It's not good. I think that this is a, you know, we, we've talked before on this podcast about, um, you know, is, is it, uh, is it, disad- is it a disadvantage? Is it a drawback for season two that we know some things from season one mm-hmm. that are going to happen in the future of this current storyline? You know, we know some of these characters are going to survive. We know Lou Salverson is going to make it out of this thing. Okay. Um, but then there are moments where I think it, it it's really beneficial to, to know, where we're going, you know, this Sioux Falls thing that we talked about a little while ago, where where Peggy is is telling us we're finding out through Peggy and Constance that the life spring is at Sioux Falls. So that's something that's exciting to start forecasting and looking toward. Of oh God, what's that going to look like? We know that there is some massacre at Sioux Falls that Lou Salverson was involved with in the past. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, and, and then something like this where we can feel. I, I was going to say we can feel pretty good, although this isn't a feel-good thing, but we can feel fairly sure that Betsy's not going to make it out of this, okay? Betsy's going to succumb to the cancer. She's not around in season one. Uh, it's not, it's not, you know, looking good for her, but I think what's, what's compelling about that is just as we're seeing a marriage kind of falling off, apart, you know, going off the rails with Ed and Peggy, I think with Lou and Betsy, it's kind of, you know, potentially a story of courage in the face of something really, really awful. So you get to track that starting now, the way that they, they deal with this news and the way she says, don't treat me any differently. And the way that they speak to each other at the end of the episode, when he's, you know, doing his very uh, Keith Carradine thing of tying the knots outside. And they just have this really kind of quietly beautiful conversation. I, I really like that knowing you know, the very sad reality of where she's headed. I, I, I love that we're getting to spend this time with this, with this, you know, relationship with these two people who really love each other and getting to see what that looks like. in you know, the last days or weeks or months of their lives together. Yeah. yeah it's been beautiful. It's been beautiful and it's kind of hard to watch too, you know, since we know yeah. the fate of her. So it's, but it has been very, it's been something in the episode that we can look to as, that's a lot different than what else is going on in, in the plot line. So it's, it's, it's beautiful. I've been, I've been really enjoying it a lot. Yeah. There was a, there was a great kind of, it's, it's almost a nothing scene, but it's right before Lou goes to uh, Carl Weathers garage or wherever Carl Weathers is. And he's saying, Hey, I'm going to take Molly ice fishing next weekend. And, uh, and Betsy just basically says like, well, you can't just have her eat the stuff that you guys eat up there. You got to teach her some better stuff. And, then Lou kind of says, like, you want me to treat you differently? And she's, I, I don't want to talk about it. You know, just treat me the same, you know. And Lou basically just said, you, you'll let me know if you, if you want, if you're okay or if you're not okay and you need to be treated differently. Uh, but it's just a little kind of 10 or 15 second scene there. Uh, but it is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on, uh, with, especially with what we know about Molly and what, what we know about Molly and Lou's relationship later. Um, this is, especially with the ice fishing, I thought that was a, a good note there as well. Uh, and I just, I mean, it's it, that great moment you guys were talking about where he's doing, uh, as Josh said, the carotene thing, and he's sitting up at night guarding the house, tying the knots. I just think that's a really nice reference in that he was always the kind of guy who wanted to, you know, when the times were tougher, when he didn't feel right, he's going to guard his family and he's going to stay up and he's going to be that guy. Uh, and to know that he felt that way uh, with Betsy and what was going on there, uh, and he's still carrying on those traditions. It's, it's a lot of love in his life, even as we meet him in season one. And to see where where it kind of rests here in season two is is really powerful it's the kind of reason i think that they make prequels you know like we want to see these characters uh fleshed out a little bit more and i think this is great small but great stuff is going on between lou and betsy 
I'm still waiting for Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you might be waiting for Godot on that one. But we we do have aliens, apparently. So I guess all bets are off. Detective Hansy is on the case. Detective Hansy, Sherlock yeah. Hansy. Yeah. Uh, I saw I saw Steve Davis in the in the comments here was calling him Sherlock Hansy, which I like. But yeah, no, he's running around. He's put he's piecing things together. You know, we can kind of take that a, a lot of that in one shot here. Of you know, he goes to the diner. He sees the broken taillight. He's gonna match that to Ed's car. He's gonna get to Ed's house. Like he's putting this thing together. Real, real fast. Really fast. And uh, it's impressive stuff. But I know that Antonio might be unimpressed with the alien stuff. Yeah, I am unimpressed with the alien stuff. I really did like, and, and our Philly had a good comment to Steve on our page at Post Show Recaps, that I, I was a little concerned. It's like, oh, we've got a Native American guy, so he can just figure everything out. Like, oh, maybe he'll talk to a bird next, and the bird will tell him where to go. Like, I think that's built into the show. I, I think that, you know, he, he tells that, he starts to tell that story to Sonny in, in the shop. That's what I was going to how- say. That backs it up. That really yeah. does make it better, and that does reinforce, uh, that this is a, this is a guy who, went through a lot of this sort of thing in Vietnam and really probably had to learn that in order to survive. So it isn't just uh, this kind of insensitive, weird, stereotypical portrayal. Uh, It's something that he was treated with stereotypes throughout his life. So he is actually good at some of the things that people might think he would be good at just by being a Native American or or what Dodd calls him something awful in the car. I mean, it's just, I don't think that people have a lot of respect for this guy. And I think he's a kind of fascinating character. And I did like the Sherlock montage. Um, I didn't like the alien part. I, I, I am of the impression that we're meant to believe that he might have been abducted by that spaceship. Uh, we saw the diner clock said 707 or so. He goes outside and then he looks up at the lights. And when he looks back at his watch, it's, at, it's almost 10 after 9. Uh, losing time in UFO encounters is something I always talked about on the X-Files. But that's coming from what other people who have had UFO encounters have said. Uh, it's in the same spot where Dodd saw the UFO. Uh, and it's similar with the light pattern. So I don't know. What do you guys think is going on here? And how much rope do we give them with this? Are, are you guys going to be okay if we don't really find out what the UFO stuff was and it was uh, thematic and not a narrative thing throughout? Or where are, where are you guys now? Let's do a UFO check because after this episode, I'm a little bit uh, less enthused about that aspect of the show. Jeremiah, I defer to you. <laughs> well, I... I'm going to have this. I'm had the same feelings that I had last week that I have this week is that I'm expecting it to continue throughout the season. I'm not sure how it's going to end. I'm going to put some faith here with Noah and the writers and the directors here of this show that it that it's going to ha- somehow have a decent payoff. But yes, I do have some concerns about it. But I'm I'm. I'm being cautious here. I don't I don't want to get like myself too worked up and then be afraid that it's going to you know really flop badly and and not stick and stick the landing very well with this. But I'm just going to I'm holding out hope, man. I'm you know I I, I trust I trust Noah. I I think he's really good at this and I I think it's going to be okay. But I'm 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 just I'm I'm cautious about it. I understand your I, concern. I I get yeah. it. Yeah. 
I, I gotta, I'm mostly with Jeremiah on this. I'm mostly of, of the mind that um, I, I have faith in Fargo season one enough that I feel like whatever they're building towards here in season two, I think it'll be good. Um, I, I mean, I don't read that scene as he was abducted. I, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, I, I guess I could see your point and you're, you're calling on, you know, people who have been abducted in stories of like, that's, that's what it's like, that it feels like not a lot of time passes. But I think that also when Hamzy's in the diner, and he's looking around at, you know, tables and he's seeing blood. And then on the split screen, we're seeing the judge on the table. We're seeing, you know, flashbacks. He's, he's envisioning, he's imagining things that are flashbacks to what's going on, um, you know, the night that Rye was there. And he looks at the, at the clock. Is there any way that that clock is the same time that it was during the shootings? Like, does it have to be? No, I went, that? I went back and looked. It, it's different. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, different. Yeah, it's, it's different. I think well, the then if that dude got it. If that dude got abducted, then he is like the chillest alien abductee of all time because he goes on through the rest of the episode like nothing happened. Wait a minute. Maybe the reason why he's such an amazing detective is not because of his past and experiences he learned from his past, but the aliens took over his body and told him where to go. Oh, wow. So he's got, what? He went to alien detective school. He yes. didn't know that he got zapped away for a decade where he was learning sweet, sweet trades of the alien arts. Right. Or the alien that took him over, took his body over, is doing all the, the detective work. That's, that would be cool. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm into that. I like that. Uh, but I, I think that I think that we're we're getting. Uh, yeah, I don't think that that's gonna happen. Yeah, you guys are show. talking about a show that I don't want to watch. Yeah, I don't think that that's no. gonna happen on the show. But I, I do think, Antonio, that we're getting more into the overt alien stuff, and I don't think that we're backing away from that. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea. So far, it's looking weird. It's looking funky. I like weird. I like funky. I like seeing Noah Hawley do something a little strange that he hasn't really done before on Fargo in the past. I'm I'm riding with it. I'm riding with it. I'm willing to give this, in fact, a, quite a bit of rope. Um, I'm I'm okay, but I don't get I don't get that upset about stuff like this, and that's just me. You know that about me. And, and Tony, I'm assuming you probably looked at the stuff about the the real life Val Johnson story about the the marshal who was one of the most famous abducted alien stories, right? That happened in Minnesota in, during 1979, and a lot of people, of course, think that this is going to somehow tie in to this season. And I don't, I don't want to go into the long story, but it basically, you know, this guy had some, a very strange incident happening with them. You can definitely look it up online and read the story. But, you know, there's – isn't it just possible that this is all being just done to just kind of give the spirit – and I think we've talked about this before – just that spirit of what was going on in Minnesota during the 70s, that there was a lot of talk about, you know, aliens and this stuff. And it just felt like – it just felt right for him to have this stuff as he is in the background and for us to think about, but really doesn't mean much at all. Sure. I mean, I'm totally on board with that. What I'm not on board with is depicting it as though it actually happened. Uh, because I, I think that if you're making this sort of Midwest crime, uh, kind of mo- movie where you're, 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 this is a true story. This is a true story. Not a movie, but a TV show. Uh, right. and you, you have this one aesthetic that you're operating under and then you put the supernatural in the show. I don't feel as good about that. And I think that there are ways to have, to capture the, the time where you're talking about, well, the, the scene we had at the gas line where someone's talking about it, that's good. You can have that. You can have yeah. a character say something weird, but I don't know. This scene with Hansi, to me, crossed a line, and I'll be interested to see uh, if we uncross it or where we go with it. 
because it, it did cross a line for me, closing the eyes and just kind of disappearing in the weird kind of camera moves that were in play there. I'm just, I didn't right. feel good about it. I still don't feel good about it. Uh, talking about it makes me feel worse about it. And so I, I don't know. We'll see how it all plays I, out. Yeah. You're willing well, I, to give them the whole season. I'm on board with that, but remember uh, the I, opening scene though, did kind of cross that barrier as well. I mean, Rye saw something that clearly looked to me like a, a UFO craft. I mean, that's all, you know, I mean, that's, that's also showing us, Maybe that there physically is aliens involved. So yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I, I agree with that. I think that was open to interpretation. I don't know. I guess it's possible uh, that all the detective work that we saw Hansi go through uh, took two hours. But the reason that we saw the clock and the reason that we saw him look at his watch was to absolutely know, set yeah. this up. So yeah, uh, I agree. You know, they're doing something. We'll just have to see how it goes. It just seems like you guys are willing to give him a little more rope than I am. I'm not giving up on the show. I love the show, uh, but I'm I'm not I'm not on board with this angle of it, and I'm interested. To to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, I think it could go a few ways, and I, I don't necessarily read it as this dude got abducted. You know, I think that time could have passed. He could be a guy who zens out for a while and chills out, and he's bathed in the in the weird lights that are far away. Maybe he's got a broken clock that's always the same time. Who knows? There's, there's, you know, there's explanations, and I, I think that that Noah Hawley deserves a little room to work here. It's only five episodes, not even five episodes into this thing. Who knows where it's going? So I'm, I'm willing to give him room. I don't think that we can get hung up on this any further. I think we got to, I think we got to start moving on. Yeah, we definitely um, have to move on. And by the way, to the time thing, remember the, in the Val Johnson st- story, they had said that his, that all of his clocks were 14 minutes slow. So again, yeah. more stuff to try to make, make us think that maybe it really doesn't mean anything, but I understand. I, I'm, I, well, let me, I know we have to move on, but I want to ask you a question because Lee Witten asked it at post show recaps. And Lee said, um, the initial inspection of the waffle at crime scene was not handled very well. Right. I mean, first, Betsy finds the murder weapon in the snow and then Hansi finds the piece of the headlight. These are both things that Lou and Hank should have been able to find either the night of the murders or shortly thereafter when the place was still an active crime scene. So I guess my question is, was this simply a case of lazy writing or are Lou and Hank bad at their jobs? Well, but see, I look at it this way. Aren't these guys more isn't Hank and Lou both highway patrolmen? I mean, I don't know if you could fairly say that their job is to constantly every day be tracking down, you know, these types of, you know, murder crimes all the time. I I just I look at the fact that you're right. I wrote down on my notes when I was watching it going, wow, Hank and Lou really are pretty bad detectives. When you got this, this, this guy comes up here and after a few minutes, he's already got the car nailed down and everything. So I, I'm just yeah. Hank Hank is Hank is the sheriff, and I he's seen some murders before and talked about him. So yeah, I agree with but, you that it's not in either small the sheriff of wherever it is Rock County or whatever. He's he's not going to see murders every day. He's not a homicide investigator. Right. Uh, he doesn't know what to make of the shoe, for example. And other people put the details of these crimes together uh, better than he does. And we've seen that. We've seen Betsy kind of outthinking Lou, and, right. and and now we see Hansy doing it. But I I think we are are meant to assume that yeah. Yeah, maybe they're not as good of uh, uh, a good as good a cops as we see Molly being in the second season. And Although you know, Lou you, has his moments. If you think about it, uh, Hansy really kind of screwed up here a little bit. I think, in my opinion, because he's actually led the police to exactly what he knows by being so forceful there in that auto with the auto place. Because he could have like tried to weasel that guy. Look like a not a very bright guy that was working there he could have probably gotten that information he needed from him without making it so 
obvious that, hey, I'm up to no good here. And it caused them to call the police. And the police, you know, led them to where they get there and go, whoa, what's this car, you know? So actually, he kind of really messed up there. He led them to the police, the, the police to, uh, to Ed and, and, uh, and Peggy. Yeah, there's an argument. There's an argument for sure. Just uh, but I mean, it's, that's where that's where his investigation is going to go. So I think that's collateral damage. Plus, uh, I mean, we we happen to know the spoilers that we will be fine. But if you you know, with forgiving that, if you put Hansy versus Lou, I take Hansy almost every day of the week. So I feel like he's probably feeling like, yeah, they can't send too many people after me. I'm going to be I'm going to be. Okay. Oh, I'm not taking away from his skills. He's obviously yeah. very good. I mean, he he, he uh, picked this thing apart really quick. So. I'm just saying, though, you know, he's also he's also a pretty bad dude. So, you know, he he's not uh, he's not going to be smooth and collective when it comes to uh, smooching some idiot that works at an auto place to get the information he needs. So, yeah, well, let's let's talk about that. Antonio, the return of Nick Offerman with his Abraham Lincoln beard as Carl Weathers on hand, stressing the plumbing. This was good. This was yeah. This was good. He's regulating on Hansy. I mean, it was a little too late, but this was anti Walter Sobchak. This was all. Uh, this was all kind of intimidation and muscle and uh, less bluster. I mean, Walter probably would have pulled the gun out and started shooting. Alan, yeah, he would have fired the gun. Yeah, Alan Seppenwall <laughs> had written that in Hit Fix, and that was my thought as well. Is that he's he's probably coming out shooting uh, for sure, Walter Sobchak. Uh, but you know, Carl Weathers is cool as a cucumber in the moment. Immediately recognizes need to call the local constable. Um, and so that's all done. Uh, and I, I thought that's great. I, of course you don't son. Of course, you know, that just, it's great. Like the, the Carl, Carl Weathers has seen some S and he's, uh, not a guy to get that rattled in this moment. So it actually, how, how is he going to get, how's he going to get wrapped up into the main thing? How's he, you know, is he just going to be this periphery character that, you know, him and Sonny are just lose pals and they ha- have an interest, a vested interest in Betsy being okay and taking Molly ice fishing and stuff. Is that going to be the extent of these characters? I mean, if that is, I'm fine with that because that means Nick Offerman will likely survive this thing. But do you think that he's going to get drawn in deeper at all? The only way he could, right, is if there really is sort of a full-scale war uh, that would normally implicate federal officers, uh, that, that kind of like a Ruby Ridge or something like that. Like, I can't see that playing out where Carl Weathers is kind of immediately entrusted. But this is a guy who comes out of the bathroom with a gun on his hip. So I think he's ready for it if he has to be deputized uh, or something has to happen where they have to add to the local police force. Uh, I can see him getting right in the thick of things and being willing to do it, uh, being loose kind of Buddy, uh, maybe not his ride or die ally till the end, but uh, somebody that Lou trusts implicitly and who can handle himself and maybe even handle a firearm. I can see that happening. Yeah, uh, we can we can move past this. We'll get back to Carl in a little bit. Uh, we get to the scene at the hotel. Mike Milligan and Simone are getting to know each other. Uh, sometimes, some, sometimes a girl just wants to you, uh, getting to know uh, all about yeah. you. About you. <laughs> yeah, a little duet action right there. Hey, I about it. that. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, Simone, thumbs up on Mike Milligan. They're talking. Things are good. Do we like this? Is this okay? How do we feel? Are we Antonio, Jeremiah, are we thumbs up or thumbs down on this pairing? <laughs> How did I know you are going to ask us that? What do you think? <laughs> I think it's a real thumbs down for Simone. I think she's in trouble. Yeah. This is not, yeah. So this is not a group of people you want to be involving yourself with. So I think this is going to get ugly for her. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I it, first of all, I'd love that when we first get into the scene, we see the Kitchen Brothers playing solitaire separate from yes, each other. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know. I guess they don't like war. I Too love bad. these guys. To go to one. I want to invite these guys over for a luncheon or something. Well, they're, they're so quiet. They're, they, they would hang out in your kitchen. I yeah. know. I just they were the Kitchen watch Brothers. Work. 
I thought they were the bathroom brothers. They're, what happened there? They're oh, happy to order from room service. I can see they they're happy to listen to sex noises, you know, without really needing <laughs> to take a walk. Uh, these are good. These are good allies to have. Uh, yeah, nuts yeah. get busted, thumbs and butts. I mean, this is no good uh, for the for the Gerhard family. This is, as we said earlier, literally sleeping with the enemy. But uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I, Milligan's just working her in this scene, and it's oh. great. Like he uh, is is getting information uh, that that she should not be giving. Um, we saw Dodd treat her horribly at the end of the last episode. I think now we know why, uh, because now we can understand why someone might want to turn on their family or be blind to what they're doing uh, by giving information about the family, including where the grandfather is going to the doctor. Um, this is all bad. Uh, that that is that is no good. I also like the difference between the characters here, uh, where Milligan refers basically to the '70s as a hangover of the '60s, and right. that all the flower children from the '60s are. He says at one point the hippies are on methadone and are now turning tricks for breakfast meat, uh, <laughs> and it's like that was a great line. And it's it's a, I think. When we talk about all this Vietnam stuff and we talk about uh, – we even saw the, in the flashback there was a discussion on the radio about the Korean War. Uh, and we, we kind of have all these things that we've talked about uh, that have defined the people that are in the series. Uh, here's a girl who wishes that she had been uh, old enough to party in the 60s. And Mike Milligan, who probably was, is basically saying like, yeah, but we always knew that was going to come to an end. Uh, we always knew that was going to lead to a hangover and here we are. And so he's a lot more pragmatic about it. Um, it's not at least two, even though they just had sex, they're not on the best of terms. They just had sex. Yes. They just, they just had sex and that's the face they made. Uh, and now they have right. to text everybody. Um, yes. but yeah, these guys, I don't know, not, not on the best of terms. And I mean, I could see him being willing to kill her. No problem. Uh, not just for the thumb, uh, but just because she's a Gerhardt and I don't, I don't see her being that way. I see her as being sort of this. Uh, I don't know, like she's dis disconnected from the family in that respect and willing to give that information over. I don't know what her plan is, but it's it's really interesting because she worked the crap out of uh, out of Skip last week uh, and was really smart in doing it. And I don't think that that was all coming from Hansy, even though Hansy was working her over in the kitchen. So why is she so dumb this time around unless well, it's to get revenge? You know, Skip and Mike Milligan, these are not exactly, you know, apples to apples here. Well, well that's why I said Milligan was working her. I think Milligan knows what's going on here and is, is doing a really good job of playing her. I just wish we had seen where Milligan got this idea from. And maybe I missed it in the first four episodes. And that's something we could go back. And if we saw it again, we'd say, oh, yeah, that's where Milligan got the idea to work with Simone. Yeah, I'd like to f see how we could fill in the gaps there, too, because I was uh, very interested to see how that whole thing took place in the interaction and how they you know, got to that point. But I definitely kind of picked up on the fact that, I mean, obviously we know she has a drug issue thing, and maybe I have this feeling she used to get that connection with Rye, and now that Rye's gone, maybe Mike you know, swooped in and was able to fill in that spot. You know that Rye did, you know, since Rye's not around anymore, he was able to fill in that, that need she has. And, you know, and he, like you said, brilliantly used her. I mean, he, he was masterful. <laughs> and I feel like he's going to get a lot more from her, too. <laughs> yeah. I think that the other thing is this makes me feel more thumbs down on Dodd than ever because we see that Simone is really eager to get into this thing. And we saw what Dodd was like when he was his father's, you know, little, little assistant in the movie theater. If he had just been a little more open-minded, this could have been great. You know, he could have had a real partner on his hands with Simone, but he had to be like, Oh, you're my daughter. And it sucks that I've got a daughter. So right. it's just a real, this guy's just a real bungus in my opinion. 
Really? I never, I never bungus. noticed. I hadn't, I hadn't heard Bungus before, but we're, this is the Bungus episode of Fargo. So there's a, bung, there's a Bungus among us. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't realize that the, I'd, I'd forgotten that the scene where Lou shows up at the auto shop happens right here. So we could have just talked about that when we were talking about Carl Weathers. Anything else to add uh, as to what's going on here? No, I mean, Lou does put the crash together. Like he does figure it out and kudos to him on that, but he figures it out a day late and a dollar short. And he probably should have found that class before. Uh, and I, I'm with uh, I'm with everybody who feels that way. I think Lee Witten was onto something there uh, that I don't feel great about Lou's investigative skills. If Hansy just goes right to where the car accident happened, finds the glass, and puts it together. That said, it was a little convenient that Han- that the, the body shop that Hansy happens to drive next to is where the car is. So it had the door open. <laughs> Yeah, not a very smart move by Ed and Peggy, again, to have this crash happen in their hometown. Uh, it was easy enough for them to track. We talked about dumb criminals last week, and I think we see the, the dumb criminal aspect there. But I'll tell you what, I know who's not a dumb criminal uh, is Joe Bulo and Gene Smart. They're both pretty much on top of their game. I love this next scene with them uh, in the kind of where, where at the end of it, Gene says, oh, you're, you're lucky you aren't meeting my husband. He would have shot you the first time he met you. Uh, right. And I think that we get the sense that, okay, maybe Oto is a little bit more like Dodd. Uh, maybe Gene Smart is the more pragmatic of the two, and they were a good pair for that reason. Uh, but, I, I mean, I love Gene Smart in these scenes, but this one especially where um, she's kind of being courteous with him and everything's going well. Uh, what else do you guys think about this scene? Well, I remember Jeremiah last week saying that he was starting to be really afraid of Floyd Gerhardt last week. So if that's how you were feeling last week, Jeremiah, I want to know your take on it. I'm terrified. He was brilliant in this. You're absolutely right. And I I don't know about you guys. I've also been really enjoying Brad Garrett playing Joe. I, I know he's not someone we would normally think about in this particular role, but given the context of, of the whole you know, Cohen brother feel, I think he's perfect for it. And I just I just love him. I think it's great. Did you guys enjoy seeing – do you like Brad Garrett in this role? What do you think? No, I I do very much. I love both of these. Like you said, Antonio, I think that these are two – these are two really good actors who – and maybe you don't always think of Brad Garrett as a great actor. You think about him as Dobie brother from you know Raymond and all that stuff. But he's he's really good in this role, uh, and he's really occupying you know a real heavy character going up against Floyd Gerhardt, who we, we know Gene Smart's got the goods. Um, these two are really top of their game, and this is an excellent, excellent scene to put these two in. And just everything, you know, every it, it should go right. I see where Floyd is coming from. You know, she's she's offering them, you know, this this deal where, it, from her perspective, it makes sense. But of course, it's just not going to be accepted because Dodd did what he did, and Dodd is going to do what he does at the meeting, which is explode and everything. And Joe Bulo, who is a smart dude, already knows the way that this is going. And him and Mike Milligan have already put the plan into effect to one minute Otto Gerhardt and all of the people that he's with, uh, which really was a straight up breaking bad call out. I feel like, yeah, yeah, there was definitely an element of that for sure. That was a you great know, scene. It's like the cousins peeling around from the, from the corner and everything with the car backing up. Uh, it, it felt like a real callback to that. And I know that Noah Hawley loves TV and I know that he loves good TV and I know that he watches that stuff. And I got to imagine, you know, he, that whole, you know, big take in Fargo season one of Malvo tearing up the Fargo office is, if not, you know, a direct call out to true detective, it's at least something that was happening at the same time. And it was a response. I 
I think, in some way to that. So I feel like this is this is a tribute to that. He's he's a guy who likes to pay tribute to really good storytelling. So I feel like this was a call out to Breaking Bad. I really loved that. Um, and I was really worried we were going to lose Michael Hogan here. Not like he's doing much when he's not in flashback form. Uh, but yeah, I don't want to lose Michael Hogan yet. I love Michael Hogan as Oto. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I totally agree with that. Would you guys during this scene were you thinking to yourself like was Joe going to push her a little bit harder on this whole thing about well what are you going to do because when my man messes up, I cut his I could cut his hands off or whatever, right? And the way he was kind of like presenting this, I was thinking, oh my god, is she going to turn around and cut off Don's hand? Right. <laughs> it was like I didn't know what was going to happen there. I mean, obviously she. She's still their mother, and she's not going to be able to do that. But wow, how badass would that have been if she just turned on and shot him in the face, done in the face, and go there? I took care of it. Can we make this deal happen or what? It's done. <laughs> that would have been sweet. I did it. It's done. And yeah. Antonio would yeah. have been happy with that, right, Antonio? Yeah, that would yeah. have been okay. Sure. <laughs> quick, quick exit for Dodd. That seems like a dream come true for you. Yeah. But like I said, in the next scene, kind of, we get with Dodd crying in the back seat and everybody being really emotional. I started right. to actually feel for Dodd. Like I really. I feel a little bit better about Dodd going in, but I, I still think this might be part of uh, his whole design. I mean, that standing up in that scene and being uh, Sonny Corleone or whoever you want to compare him to, the hot-headed uh, son. No, Sonny is the guy who works at the auto shop. Yeah, no, I know that. No, this that kid was not Italian. I can Sorry. I can vouch for that. Um, yeah, no, there's no chance he would have been laughed out of the uh, whole uh, racial memory. But um, but no, the, uh, the the Sonny Corleone thing is real. I think, uh, and I you know I don't I'm not going to spoil the Godfather for anybody who hasn't watched it. But I think there might be a similar uh, there might be similar things that the characters experience for sure. I don't know. It's be been a pretty long time. I think you can spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know the, the sibling rivalries and things like that, and you know people making power plays. I think it's not it's not off the table. Uh, I did think it was interesting. Did we know that there was another brother in the mix nope. at one point? Uh, that was news, right? Yep. And uh, we find out from Floyd that she had an older son who got his head blown off in Korea. Yeah. So this is a hearted and, woman. She has a she has she has this great line where she says something to the effect of like, you know, you look at me and you see probably an old woman, and she starts talking about you know what she's done and what she's lived through and all of these things, and she says something to the effect of just because I'm old, don't assume that means I've got a weak spine. Um, this is just really good stuff. Yeah, I I just I love like like you guys would said, Jean was so perfect in this in this whole scene. And it just the emotion she had on her face when she just when everything just wasn't going the way she was hoping it would go. And she knows what's coming, you know, and she knows it's going to be ugly. She knows this is not going to go well. And it just I just I loved that performance was fantastic. I could just feel it coming off of her that this is just not going to go well. And I, I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next scene that we get is going to be Ed and Peggy. You know, the, the check isn't clearing, and now there's another guy who's going to buy the butcher shop, and Ed and Peggy have their blow up on the street. Antonio, how much is there to unpack here from the scene that we haven't already talked about with Ed and Peggy? Well, a little bit. We had the question from our Philly was the stilted, broken communication between the two of them. Uh, it's supposed to be indicative of the interaction between spouses in that part of the world 35 years ago, or more specifically about them uh, and how superficial and Jointed their relationship with one another is. Um, I, I don't know. I think that that's interesting. I, I did think that that speech that Constance gives Peggy, uh, where she basically says, 
No one's ever going to tell you how to live your life again, she says, right? And that's exactly what she's doing to Peggy. She's telling her how to live her <laughs> that's life. That's a good point. Yeah. Constance, what are you Nobody trying to get away me. with here? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's what are you funny. trying to get away with here? So yeah. I don't know. That's where we get the Sioux Falls mention. Uh, like we said, this is indicative of definite communication issues between the two of them. I don't think we've, we see the same with Lou uh, and Betsy. Lou, in fact, is sensitive to Betsy's needs and emotions, sensitive enough to know that he asks her to tell him when she wants to be treated differently. Right. Uh, not, you know, knowing that uh, just doting on her, treating her differently is not what she wants. Uh, and she doesn't respect that. And uh, she wants to be treated normally and not treated as though she's got a month left to live. Uh, those sorts of things are sensitive. Uh, Lou, and Peggy, Lou and Betsy exist on that level. Ed and Peggy clearly don't. So I don't think it's indicative of the way all couples were meant to be in that part of the world because we've got another couple, as we've already talked about in this podcast, who are clearly uh, drawn as different. Um, so I think that that plays out the way uh, the way that uh, I think the the creators are intending to. Uh, I really don't know. We had pegged last episode. We had pegged Constance as Peggy's next victim, and that she was probably ready to do it. Are you guys still tracking that? It didn't seem like we really moved the needle on that this episode. No, I mean, I, I think that we were, we, that storyline seems to be on ice at the moment. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe if they go to Sioux Falls, something awful will happen there. Uh, but for, for now, I think Peggy seems to be Team Constance. Well, and it doesn't really matter because Constance was her open end because, you know, we were worried someone might find out. Cat's out of the bag. Cat's out <laughs> Like of the bag. both parties that you don't want to find out, them being the family of the person that you killed and the police, both know. Uh, at this point. So Constance is no longer a loose end. The whole world is a loose end for Ed and Peggy at this point. Yeah, that's very true. But I I do have a feeling though, that something, something's still going to happen. That's going to cause, cause Peggy to maybe put some harm on Constance. I just, I still have this feeling that something like that's going to happen. And we, we know something really ugly happens in Sioux Falls. So we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder the reason though, and we can, we can segue into one of the great scenes of the night, which is Lou confronting Peggy and Ed, uh, while Hansy may or may not be in the house. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? We know that Hansy breaks in. We don't know if Hansy leaves or if he just like lingers entirely possible. I feel like we would have gotten some follow up on that if that was the case. But anyway, uh, we have this great scene where Lou confronts Peggy and Ed. He's like, you're going to have to invite me in. And he gives them this great speech. Uh, he says, there's a look a boy gets when he's been shot uh, or a landmine takes off his legs and he's laying there in the mud trying to get up because he doesn't feel it yet. His brain hasn't caught up with the reality that he's already dead, but we see it, the rest of us, and we lie. We say, lay still, you're going to be fine. If you'd been to war, you'd know the look because you and Peggy Ed, you got the look. You still think it's Tuesday. You have no idea what's coming. And this is, you know, this is kind of like a classic Carradine type of character, it feels like, which is, I, I really, I really got the Keith Carradine and Patrick Wilson this week. I don't know if you guys got that either, but I really felt him channeling future Lou Salverson in a big way this week. And I love this idea of him coming to Ed and Peggy and giving them a chance. It's like, here, I make rope for fun. Have some. Have some rope and let me pull you out of this situation that I know you are in. You ran this dude over. He is the son of someone who is very, very dangerous and kills people for a living. You guys are in deep. You can you can get out of it now if it's not already too late. But you got to help me help you. You know, giving him a little bit of the Jerry Maguire. Uh, and these people have every opportunity in the world to say yes 
and they say no they say get out get out of the house yeah i love the line too that lou has where he says you still think it's tuesday you have no idea what's coming right i thought this whole scene was brilliant and i i did love his his uh, analogy there with the with the with the soldier story and that look that they had i mean they did it was like you could totally see that they they are definitely covering something up and I thought that was just brilliant. And it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's because I think here's what I think. I think Lou, he knows these people pretty well. I think he feels like these are normally good people who probably just got themselves in a really bad situation. And he wanted to give them every chance he can to make sure that maybe they will do the right thing, get this out in the open, and then he can help them because really he can't help them if they won't admit it. You know, and and now they've opened themselves up to some some serious harm that's going to happen to them. So, I just thought it was just a, a good part. It was part of Lou's character that we've we've known all along, but that you know Lou's a good guy and he cares about people and he doesn't want to see bad things happen to these people because he knows it's going to. He knows how bad these carrots are. He's he's seen it firsthand. He went up to their place and saw right. how ruthless these people are. He knows they're in trouble. Yeah, you know, Sarah and Trouble. And Tony, what do you think that this does uh, for for Lou, Peggy, and Ed as characters? And what do you think that this does for the story of the season? It's a two part question. What do, what do you think that this does for the story of the season? Now that that cat is out of the bag, if not quite in the river yet, the fact that uh, that the fact that Lou knows what Peggy and Ed have done, and they know that he knows what 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 is this doing for where we are in Fargo right now? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but the cat, you know, cats in the bag and the bags in the river are two separate episodes of Breaking Bad season one, uh, where the show really starts to pick up. And here we are in a situation where I think that we have told a lot of story and we're ready to take the next step in this story. I mean, unless Ed and Peggy go on the run, Hansy's going to want to kidnap and or murder them for the family. Uh, so that's going to happen. We know from the very next scene, which almost uh, blends into this great scene with Ed and Peggy about people not knowing when they're already dead. Uh, we have her saying it's war and walking out. And, and that really, the, to me, the two scenes are part of the monologue Patrick Wilson delivers is, is part of that same thing. Alan Sepinwall was so moved by that scene and that particular line, he based his whole kind of review of this episode around it and evaluated what characters might not realize that they're already dead, that they're drawing yeah. dead at this point. And I think that we've established to this point uh, where the people are in the story enough that they're going to start dying and pretty quickly. Uh, one of the things that I will say um, about this great, great scene is that we can't forget the Vietnam backdrop of this entire uh, season so far. And if anyone knows anything about the Vietnam War, it's that we sent a lot of people over to die who were very unprepared uh, to take on uh, people who were settled into a very unique geography uh, and were very familiar with it and were very familiar with how to use it. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if Kansas City sends a bunch of people up to Fargo, uh, to the frozen north, who are incapable or in- unprepared uh, to deal with what they're going to have to deal with in a war with the Gerhards. And it won't just be the Gerhards. We know this from the previous episode where Floyd is uh, talking to all of the kind of uh, Dons, if you will, or the Capos, the people who are also involved in criminal enterprise who report to her. And they say, like, listen, we're ready for this. Like, when we have to, we're going to do it. So it's not just going to be everyone from the Kansas City Mafia against Bear and Dodd and Charlie and Floyd and whatever kind of goons they might have. Um, this is going to be every organized crime organization there uh, and all of their people uh, versus the people that Kansas City is going to 
bring. And I think on the surface, it looks like the Gerhards are the underdog. They're outnumbered. Time's going to pass them by. They're a little family operation. But I think if you read that against the backdrop of Vietnam and the way that that all worked out, it may not be as easy for these people in Kansas City as we think. Mm, I like mm, that. I do like that. And one of the saddest parts, though, to me, I thought in that scene, by the way, with Lou and Ed and Peggy is that you could obviously tell Ed was about ready to tell yeah. Lou <laughs> and crack. and she of course prevented him from doing that and I, I thought that was I like, was oh so my god sad I stuck the guy in the meat grinder I did this thing it was awful oh god help me I was like yelling like, at the screen going no it. go ahead Ed tell him tell him you know you want to it was like oh man that's so hard to watch it's good drama though it was you great drama it was that's awesome the, that's the what stuff that's what they call the stuff i believe yeah that was uh, it show has the stuff and that scene was the stuff it was great it was awesome um you know i think i think anton you honestly you basically touched on the rest of the points through this episode we have this fantastic scene of floyd declaring it's war and it's just <laughs> good and you know that's going to be good and i like your analysis of how that could play out i mean it might not play out as a one-for-one one with how vietnam went uh but you know we're not talking about vietnam as often as we are in this show without a reason and you know it could be as simple as that's the world these people live in um you know this is the experience they had many of the characters we know went to war saw some shit came back dealing with that healthily or unhealthily in in you know unequal measure probably uh, but maybe it's you know it's a call out to how this war might go um, I hadn't considered that until you brought it up, and I think that that's really interesting. I think that could be really good. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting too. We shall see soon. Yeah, and and I really like the the line from Lou at the end that we are out of balance. The whole world yeah. we used to know right and wrong. We don't have a moral center, and I think that that I think that that plays in because I I think that this episode kind of showed us that. The people that we might have been on their side, like uh, Simone Gerhardt, uh, selling out the family. The people who we couldn't stand, like Dodd Gerhardt, um, is being a little bit nicer or more appreciative of, like, it's, it's interesting because. Dodd wanted a son, now he's got Charlie. And then he's laying his head on his mom's shoulder like the little kid that we see at the beginning of the episode probably never really got to do after he was already a stone-cold murderer. So I do think that we're kind of blurring the lines between who we think is in the right and who is in the wrong um, and that everybody's kind of doing these things. It It's a very interesting thing for a Vietnam vet to be saying like, you know, several years later, five, six, seven, eight years later, maybe when a lot of the PTSD uh, or whatever you want to call it is wearing off off maybe when he's taking a step back and looking at how that experience defined him we see that so much throughout this series that uh to see kind of playing out here in the backdrop of an actual mafia war uh in backdrop of all these horrible things that are happening it harkens back to a lot of the coen brothers stuff that great speech that i love so much in no country for old men when the old tommy lee jones is talking about how things have gotten to crazy for him but that they've always been crazy and uh that you know maybe the, the this level of violence is just something that when you're older takes you down um but this is different for these people in this generation who were in vietnam and did experience some horrible horrible things uh they were they were chastened or christened uh in this sort of thing or by this sort of thing at a very early age and it's defined a lot of how they see the world including what lou is saying is he's 
keeping his first of, or as far as we know, first of many overnight vigils, basically saying like, we, we don't know what we're doing. Like we have no moral center as a people. Uh, and that's, that's interesting to me that thematically, if they can find some way to tie the, uh, UFO stuff into that, that people are so scattered that they're looking skyward and saying, what's the answer? Uh, maybe that works a little better. I don't know. We'll see. I think I think that even just that as a possibility is why I'm giving you know I'm giving leeway for for the alien stuff you know there's 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 room there's room there's room absolutely is room and by the way we've got to finally we got to see Lou standing guard out in front of the house just like he did in season you think one that, that was it was that was that you know he does say that in season one like there was one night where I stayed out and no one came nothing happened is this the night well you think? I just I kind of I felt like that's that was that was the callback but I maybe maybe we'll see it do him do it again. Yeah, maybe. I don't know why he would feel like his family was in jeopardy at that point. In the first season, obviously, we know why he felt like yeah. um, Gus Gus was in jeopardy specifically uh, in Gus's child. Um, but I, I right. this episode, I don't I don't know why he thought his family was. He just says he couldn't sleep, and this is what he does when he can't sleep: is he goes and he plays sentry and he ties his knots and he just is alone with his thoughts and clears his head right. out. And I, I love well, that. I- yeah, I, I think he's unsettled right now, and he did have that visit to the Gerhards, and he is on their radar. So I, I could see it. You know, I could see why he would be like, "I got to protect this right now." Who knows what the hell is about to come here? It's true. Uh, so I, I think that there's stuff there, but I, I obviously uh, he has he has some more stuff that he's got to see in, in <laughs> yeah. the coming episode. So it's going to be good. All right, anything else from this week's episode, Antonio? Nothing from me, Jeremiah. Anything from you? No, I just I is it just me? I felt like Jeff Russo's score really picked up in this episode. To like like really gives us a feel like we're really of really moving into some exciting moments there and i just felt like the music was even more poignant in this particular episode do you guys feel that way as as well or was it just me i mean i was just getting caught up in the moment i didn't i mean it didn't particularly i mean i love the score on this series so i'm i'm picking up on it whenever it's there but uh, i didn't feel like this was an outlier in one way or the other so i'm glad it swept you up finally it did yeah no it's it's always it's i've always enjoyed i've always enjoyed it i've just uh just felt for some reason in this particular episode it just felt like it did a really nice job picking up the tension even higher than we've been uh so far but maybe it was just me no, no, no. I mean, the music's just always great. It's so good. Uh, yeah, it's they've so definitely did an outstanding job again this season with the music. So, yeah, great stuff. Great stuff this week. Listen, we talked about butts. We talked <laughs> about donuts. We talked about marriage. We talked about what works and does not work in relationships. Uh, we talked about parenting. This is we've we, done a lot here. We talked about Fargo. We talked about a lot. It was a, it was a very this was a well rounded podcast. All life lessons that? have been learned in this podcast. Yeah, I think so. So good, good stuff this week, guys. I thought this was a lot of fun. Great episode of Fargo. Almost halfway home here on Fargo season two. You can follow these guys on Twitter. Jeremiah's at J Panhorse. Antonio's at AC Mazzaro. Two Z's, one R. I'm at Round Howard. Do we have a hashtag this week? Any suggestions? Antonio, Jeremiah, you guys got anything? Sue False. Hashtag Sue False. <laughs> hashtag Sue False. I was going to say hashtag Thumbs Up Mike would be oh, good. Oh, no. Well. <laughs> Yeah, maybe he doesn't tweet tag, that at Mike Bloom. Yeah, tag tag at a Mike Bloom type on there too. <laughs> we could do we it. could do sticky thumb. Oh, we could do that. So any one of those three, if you'd like to send it our way. Uh, so thank you guys so much. Another great show. Subscribe to what we're doing. Postshowrecaps.com slash Fargo iTunes or the general postshowrecaps feed is postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Follow postshowrecaps on Twitter as well. Why not? Postshowrecaps is at postshowrecaps on Twitter. Fun stuff going on there. Tons of stuff happening on postshowrecaps. How many more times can I say post show recaps? I guess that's probably going to be the last time I say it, but very good stuff this week. 
We'll talk to you all again soon. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.